Welcome to the last Sunday of this quarter. Uh, hopefully you all uh, take the class again to finish out 1 to 11. So it won't really feel like a transition for next quarter uh, for you. But uh, today is officially the last day of the quarter and then next next week starts new, new quarters. Uh, unfortunately, I won't be able to stay in this class, which is a bummer because the, the flood is one of my, my favorite passages. So... I'll have to listen to the recordings, but uh, um, here we are. So we're going to discuss chapter 5 today, as you know, and uh, as you recall, Rob is in Japan, so he uh, called me in to sub for him, but he prepared all the notes, so we're going to go with that. I've added in just a couple things of my own, uh, and then anything else that you want to talk about um, from, from this particular passage so what we will learn today, what we'll cover from Genesis chapter 5, is the pro- progression of the seed line. Uh, scripture is very focused, uh, after Genesis 3.15, on who is this seed that's going to crush the serpent's head. And Genesis 5 uh, goes a long way in moving us forward in history to see who is this one that the Lord will send. So we're going to see that. The curious case of Enoch. Uh, one of the two men who never died but uh, was taken to heaven. Who was the other one? Elijah. Elijah. That's right, Elijah. So we'll talk about Enoch just a little bit. Uh, and then talk about the long lifespans and the generational gaps. Genesis 5 is really the, the chapter that helps us consider how old is the earth from a biblical perspective. And so uh, the, the numbers and the lifespans uh, give us a clear picture of that. So we'll talk about uh, that aspect as well. But first, as we always do, a review of what, where we've been the last couple of weeks. We've talked about uh, Cain from Genesis chapter 4. Uh, how Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. That was part of his judgment from the Lord for not giving a sacrifice that pleased the Lord. And uh, that banishment from the presence of the Lord uh, seems to be some, something along the lines of uh, leaving the active uh, presence. Obviously, God is omnipresent, so he can't actually be away from the Lord. But there was something special about where God was, his engagement relationally with Cain, that that ended. And, uh, and then he went off to the land of Nod. The land of Nod means wandering. And so is the land of wandering where, as Scripture says, he... Uh, start, he, I was saying he planted. He built a city, and uh, you know one of the questions that we come up with is, well, where, uh, where was this city, or or where were the people who who populated this city? And just one thing to note is that the word city is a, a broad term in, in Hebrew, so it could refer to a big city, it could refer to a, a little town. In fact, in Genesis 19, which we'll read in the scripture reading today, it refers to Zoar, that little town and it's translated town that Lot asked if he could flee to that town instead of going up to the mountains and it emphasizes it's a little town can I please go there and so just because it says that uh, Cain started a city or he created a city it doesn't mean he created this big metropolis (laughs) filled with thousands and thousands of people Uh, but the idea is that it's a, a, a local place uh, but he himself, Scripture would indicate, did not live there uh, for at least not for a long time because he is a wanderer uh, on the earth. 
Also, the question comes up of where did Cain's wife come from? And we talked about how um, skeptics uh, like to point out that Scripture only talks about Cain and Abel. So where where did his wife come from? And, and that's a, a, a hole in the plot, as some would say. Uh, but clearly the solution is that Adam and Eve had other sons and daughters besides Cain and Abel. Uh, we saw a quote from an ancient he- uh, Hebrew or Jewish tradition that Adam and Eve had 130 sons and daughters. I don't know how accurate that is, uh, but they lived certainly long enough to have that many kids. And so there would have been plenty of opportunity for him to have a wife and, uh, and as well for others to populate that city that he established. Cain and his wife had a son named Enoch, not to be confused with the Enoch, who is the great-great-great-grandson of Seth, and that's the first record of a grandchild that Adam and Eve had. Of course, Scripture doesn't tell us everything. It doesn't tell us all the children that they had, all the grandchildren, so it's possible they would have had other grandchildren uh, by then, um, but that's the first one that is recorded. Uh, The section on the descendants of Cain is quite brief, but it establishes a pattern for the rest of the book of Genesis. Uh, There's as Scripture is moving forward in the plan of redemption, there's these different vignettes that give us an indication that there's other things going on in the world. Oh, sorry, my shoe just <laughs> went sideways. There's other things going on in the world other than what God is doing through uh, the, uh, the the plan of redemption. And so we see that here in the line uh, of Cain, and we, we get seven generations in with, uh, with Lamech, uh, where we are told about his evil, his rebellion against the Lord, his murderous heart, his uh, polygamous heart, and, uh, and that is contrasted with Enoch, as we'll see today, the seventh generation uh, from Adam who walked with the Lord. And uh, we, we see time and time again, even throughout the book of Genesis, we see Esau's line, we see uh, the lines of other uh, sons who were not in the line of the Messiah, and that just tells us again that God is doing something else also, one of the things those, those side branches tell us is the, the character, it explains the character of those who are far from God. So we have the line of the Messiah, which usually refers to those who are faithful, those who worship the Lord. Uh, we see at the end of Genesis 4 that it was at the time uh, of, of Lamech that people started to call on the name of the Lord, instituting public worship, and that contrasts with Cain's or Lamech's descendants who... Uh, you know, who were the, the workers of metal and workers of bronze and, and other things, instruments. Um, and so uh, those times when we learn about uh, the descendants of those who are not in the line of the Messiah tells us about the character of those who are far from God. and gives us an indication, especially in Genesis 5, as to the wickedness of men that is on the earth. So the line of Cain... Uh, and it leads to Lamech, and Lamech told this song to his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech, give heed to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me, and a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. This again highlights the, the wicked nature of Lamech, and the depravity of man uh, that has uh, had an impact on society. And if that was true of Lamech, uh, it's, it no doubt spread to many others in that generation. 
So after dispensing with uh, the Cainites, the narrative returns to the time not long after Abel's murder by Cain. And we know from Genesis 5.3, as we'll see today, that uh, 130 years had transpired between God's creation of Adam and Eve and the birth of Seth, who Eve describes as a replacement for Abel since Cain killed him. That doesn't necessarily mean that he's the third child that they've had and you know lost one, Abel, and, and replaced by Seth. It can simply mean that for one that was lost, one was gained, even though they may have had other sons and daughters, in fact, likely did have other sons and daughters. And then Seth and his wife produce a grandson who is named Enosh. And again, at that time, men began to, began to call upon the name of the Lord. And so we saw this quote from Jonathan Sarfati. Uh, the Toledot of the heavens and the earth starts with a high point of the creation of man and woman and the ordination of marriage. But not too long after that, the first couple, Adam and Eve, sinned and brought death into the world. Their firstborn, Cain, compounded the sin by taking a human life made in the image of God. His lineage produced the vengeful Lamech who threatened fearful vengeance in his own power and showed the results of living apart from God. However, the Toledot ends on a high note. Adam and Eve have another son whose line would, be, would produce the Redeemer whom God promised in Genesis 3.15. This is Seth, and he, is, he and his son Enosh are righteous men who institute public worship of the true God, Yahweh. And what results from them must await the second Toledot. So, Genesis chapter 5. If you have your Bible, you can turn there. This is one of those chapters which, on the surface, seems um, questionable as to why was this instituted, or why was this inspired, I should say, from by the Holy Spirit. Why is this in Scripture? But it actually provides for us a number of important truths. So let's just take the time to read through, and then we'll... Uh, highlight a number of points here. So Genesis chapter 5, this is the book of the generations of Adam. In the day when God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female, and he blessed them and named them man in the day when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his image, and named him Seth. Then the days of Adam, after he became the father of Seth, were 800 years, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Seth lived 105 years and became the father of Enosh. Then Seth lived 807 years after he became the father of Enosh, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. Enosh lived 90 years and became the father of Kenan. Then Enosh lived 815 years after he became the father of Kenan and had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enosh were 905 years and he died. Kenan lived 70 years and became the father of Mahalalel. Then Kenan lived 840 years after he became the father of Mahalalel and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Kenan were 910 years and he died. Mahalalel lived 65 years and became the father of Jared. Then Mahalalel lived 830 years after he became the father of Jared, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Mahalalel were 895 years, and he died. Jared lived 162 years and became the father of Enosh. 
excuse me, Enoch. Then Jared lived 800 years after he became the father of Enoch, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. Then Methuselah lived 782 years after he became the father of Lamech, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Methuselah were 969 years, and he died. Lamech lived 182 years and became the father of a son. Now he called his name Noah saying, This one will give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. Then Lamech lived 595 years after he became the father of Noah, and he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. Noah was 500 years old, and Noah became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. All right, There's a lot, a lot going on there. So, starting back from the beginning, we have a new Toledot. Remember, that's translated generations, and that tells us that this is what followed from Adam. Everything that we've read, of course, are all the descendants of Adam. But this Toledot, in particular, is unique in that it says this is the book of the generations of Adam. In Hebrew, that's Safer. Uh, which uh, is translated book. obviously could have been a scroll or even a clay tablet. And this actually corresponds to Matthew chapter 1. If you look at Matthew chapter 1, it refers to the genealogy of Christ in this same way with this unique word. And these are the only two genealogies that refer to uh, the genealogy in this way. In Matthew chapter 1, it says the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. The word record there is uh, uh, biblos, which also means book. And so it reflects the same concept as the Hebrew uh, sefer uh, in Hebrew. So again, just emphasizing the correspondence between these two genealogies. One says this is the, the genealogy of Adam. And by using the term book, it may imply that this was actually written down at some point, uh, that, uh, that it, it came from a book, not just uh, as a general accounting of history. And then the same is true uh, for the genealogy of Christ. Again, what we see in this uh, genealogy is the recounting of the line of the Messiah. And so the ancestors of Christ... Uh, are in red as we work through this. So we started out with Adam and Eve, who had a son named Seth, along with Cain and Abel and other sons and daughters. Then we moved to Enosh, and then Kenan, Mahalalel, and Jared. And by looking at, I don't know how well you can see that, but by looking at the dates, or I should say the ages, uh, at which those uh, men were born, uh, it seems, again, unlikely that they were all the firstborn of uh, each family. Uh, the, the line of the Messiah does not always go through the firstborn. We know that with 
Jacob and Esau, right? Isaac and Ishmael. And so it's unlikely that these are the firstborn because they were born so many years into the lives of their fathers. But these are the ones who were descended specifically uh, in God's purpose to be in the line of the Messiah. So as we move through, we got up to the seventh generation, of course, Enoch being uh, the one who was marked out for his faith. We'll come back to him in, in a moment. Uh, and as we said, Elijah was the only other human being other than Enoch to never die. Um, then you have Methuselah, his son, who is well known for having lived the longest of any uh, person recorded in Scripture. Uh, I remember uh, many years ago uh, in, in our church where I was growing up, the, the pastor preached a sermon on Methuselah. Of course, this is the only verse where he shows up. So I was like, what in the world is he going to say for, you know, 30, 40 minutes, whatever it was. And the whole, the whole point of the message was, don't be like Methuselah, where the only thing you're known for is your age. <laughs> it's like, okay, that was interesting. Um, yeah. I always wondered, you know, it only includes Noah's certain number of his children in the ark. But, okay, it says he had other sons and daughters. Does that mean that they weren't saved or... He would have had other sons and daughters after the flood. Okay, okay. That's what I always wondered, because they seem to be adults. Right. They have, so I wondered if he had other children that just didn't... Right, because it's not here in Genesis 5 that says that he had other sons and daughters, but it's later on uh, in the, after the flood that he said that, he, that it says he had other sons and daughters. So those would have been kids after the flood. Yeah. Which is interesting that, you know, he only had three in the first 500 years. <laughs> but uh, that seems to be what Scripture is, is indicating. You know, there, and there's consistency with the New Testament where it says that eight in all went into the ark. So um, that's obviously Noah and his wife, his three sons and their wives. Uh, and so uh, whatever the reason, in fact, uh, I'll mention here in a little bit, uh, how many sons did Shem, Ham, and Japheth have? It seems as though, if it's true that Adam and Eve had 130 uh, sons and daughters, then you would kind of assume that somewhere in that number was pretty normal for people who lived six, seven, eight hundred years, that they would have 50 plus kids. Um, but by the time you get to the time of Noah, that doesn't seem to be the case. Certainly it's not the case with Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And so we'll, we'll uh, spend a little bit of time just talking about why that would be um, and, and the impact that that would have on population growth and, uh, and really the need that, that would exist to slow down the having of children. So one of the things that uh, is important to point out um, when you're reading this is when you get to verse 28, actually, let me skip forward a little bit. Um, do this. Skipping forward a couple of slides. You see as we walk through the, uh, the chapter that there's a clear pattern uh, in uh, how it describes you know, the, the, uh, the, the progress of genealogy. The pattern is when A had lived X years, he became the father of B. A lived another Y years, so all the days of A were X was X plus Y. And he died. And that pattern is consistent with every single person. Uh, there's a slight variation when it comes to Enoch. 
but still it's more or less the same until you get to verse 28. And in verse 28, it says, Lamech lived 182 years, so that follows the pattern, and he became the father of, and that follows the pattern, but then the pattern was broken unexpectedly, and it says, a son. And as soon as you have that break in the pattern, you realize, oh, there's something going on here. There's, there's something important that's about to be said. And so the information about Noah and his life uh, uh, is marked out as particularly important. And again, that just highlights the fact that the purpose of this genealogy, among other things, is to move us forward in the narrative to get us to the next major truth and or events that the Lord wants us to know about, uh, namely the flood. Uh, but that pattern exists all the way up until Noah, where it's broken for the point of emphasizing uh, the, the birth and the life of Noah. I'll go back here a little bit. We're not going to talk about every individual person. Obviously, most of these, uh, nothing is said in Scripture about any of them other than what's written here. Uh, but you, you notice that part of that pattern is the uh, emphasis on the death of each individual. Uh, this, I think, reflects the uh, importance of the reality of death. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, we all know they didn't topple over uh, and die. Uh, and Scripture up until this point doesn't really talk about death in those first few chapters other than Cain murdering Abel. But here, uh, in emphasizing death, the implication is not that these men died of unnatural causes like murder, but rather that they all died of natural causes. And so there's just a, an emphatic repetition of he died, he died, he died, he died, which I think is a, just a declaration that God's promise or God's um, uh, faithfulness to his promise uh, is represented in physical death, not just spiritual death. None of the other uh, genealogies in Scripture, which of course there's many of them, have that at all. This is the only one that emphasizes the death of each individual. So of course, uh, not only uh, these men, but also those who were uh, alive, Cain's line, uh, and all the other sons and daughters would have experienced up all the way down to today the consequence of sin, Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Everyone dies because everyone sins. Again, with the only exceptions being Enoch and Elijah. So the phrase, and he died, is applied to eight of the nine men preceding Noah. So what do we make of the curious case of Enoch? In verse 24, we learn that at a relatively young age of 365, Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. You see that there in verse 24. In the New Testament, we find that Enoch was a prophet, uh, and it is said in Jude, it was also about these, that is, false teachers, that um, these men, that Enoch, in the seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment upon all, and to convict all of the ungodly, all of the ungodly, of all their ungodly deeds which they have done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. 
So in his day, Enoch was a prophet. And again, that points to the wickedness that existed on the earth at that time, that he was emphasizing the ungodliness, <clears throat> the character of ungodliness, and the deeds of ungodliness practiced <clears throat> excuse me, by the sinners of his day. Hebrews 11 <clears throat> excuse me, also tells us, uh, By faith Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. So Enoch, in his lifetime, exhibited such a remarkable faith, thanks, babe, that he was taken up by God. So here's the question. How much faith do you need to have to be taken up by God? Anybody know? <laughs> I would love to know. <laughs> No, we don't know. Obviously, it's a very unique situation. Yeah, you know, I, I wish Scripture gave us more detail on that, but it, it doesn't. And, you know, I think the best we can surmise is that in the context of his wicked generation, um, that he proved his faithfulness to God and, and God in his mercy uh, rescued him, not only from death itself, but even from continued life in a cursed world. Because again, he didn't, let's see, he lived a total of 365 years, um, which is about half or less the length of most of the men of his time. So it's not as though God gave him a full life, and then, hey, I don't want you to experience death, so I'll just bring you up to myself. Uh, he actually rescued him out of the wicked generation uh, at, at a relatively short uh, period of time. So uh, why did God do that? You know, again, Scripture doesn't say, Speculation. Uh, what are the explanations for who the two witnesses in Revelation mm. that died uh, are Enoch and Elijah? Mm. They are actually killed there. Mm. They die there, and therefore the, the verse that. Uh, it's always interesting to speculate about who those witnesses yeah, are. I know, it's, yeah, I've heard Elijah which is one of those, and Moses, because of how they interacted with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, but, yeah, yeah, maybe that will be, maybe that will be, yeah. So we have that pattern which we've talked about. Uh, now, what's interesting is, because of the way that this is presented, the, the pattern that's here, there are no time gaps in the genealogy. So this, you could call this a chrono-genealogy, meaning it's a chronological and it, it follows uh, the, the passing of time. And this is very different from other genealogies where we can mark out missing names. We can identify people are missing from a, a, a genealogy. Uh, maybe uh, it refers to someone being a father, but in reality we know because of other passages of Scripture that they're the grandfather of uh, you know, the next generation that is listed in a genealogy. But here, uh, with the times that are given, the years that are given, it gives us a very clear, marked uh, a passing of time. Now, what that does is it helps us to basically count back to see when, uh, how, how far back was the creation of the world. Uh, those who would deny what we would consider to be young earth creationism, that the earth is you know, thousands of years old, not millions or billions of years old, uh, try to uh, look at this genealogy and say, well, there's, there's gaps, there's missing 
people, uh, and so there, you know, we can add more time into the the timeline of the history of the world. But the problem is, again, it just it, it doesn't work with the pattern, with the way this is written out. Even if it's talking about grandsons or grandchildren or great grandchildren, which the language of becoming a father of uh, allows, it can mean to become the grandfather of, uh, as it does in other places. But with the the listing of of years, there's no gaps that can be permitted. And so that brings us to a very clear understanding of the history of the world. So the number of years from Adam's creation to Seth's birth is 130 years, regardless of whether there are any generations between them. And the number of years between Seth's birth and Enosh's birth is 105 years, regardless of whether there are any generations between them. So if anyone were to ever say... You know, we can't use the chronology of Genesis 5 because there's missing generations. We can just point to the text and say, no, no, no. Even if there are missing generations, the years are fixed. And so that gives us this timeline where, uh, it's probably hard to read there, but there's a a James Usher, he's an uh, older, um, of course, long since with the Lord, uh, scholar who did the, the seminal work of, uh, of uh, counting back the years, and that's where uh, he, he was the first one to come up with the date of 4004 B.C. for the creation of the world. Uh, now there's a lot of things that factor into that after the time of Abraham that you have to get to Abraham to start counting, but that, is, that has been the most recognized uh, number of when God created the world. Now what's interesting is, even if, again, someone wanted to say, well, there's some missing generations there, so we need to add more time, and they're doing that in an effort to expand the the age of the earth to try and accommodate uh, secular or scientific theories of uh, how long the earth has existed, or how long humans have been on the earth, it just doesn't work because you'd have to add in so many generations that would ultimately make this genealogy meaningless. In fact, if just to get a visual picture on it, uh, let, let's just say for the sake of argument, round it off. I'm sorry, that I know that's not very dark. Let's just say that the world is 6,000 years old, uh, 4,004 BC, 2022, we're rounding to 6,000. Uh, if you want to try and get to uh, what is the currently uh, generally understood length of time that human beings have been on the earth, you would have to get somehow from 6,000 all the way to 190,000. And again, that's many times, many multiple times over uh, what this biblical text gives us uh, in terms of generations. And of course, if you want to go all the way back to the age of the earth, you're talking about, uh, let's see, what is it, Four, 4.1 million, I think it is, the current guess in the age of the earth. So just suffice it to say, there's no way you can get from 6,000 to 190,000 or to 4 million. So the modern theories of how old is the age of the earth, how long have humans been on the world? Those just don't work in any way with the biblical text. There's no way to massage 
uh, or to stretch out the genealogies to fit modern, modern theories. Either the scripture is accurate and it's true in its accounting of history, which would lead us to something closer to 6,000. You know, some would say, well, maybe it's up to 20,000. Okay, let's just, let's just give you 20,000. Still, you don't come even close to secular theories. Um, so however you want to stretch it, there's no way to stretch all the way to secular theories. Any uh, questions or thoughts on that? Yeah. That's based on just a quick search, what is currently understood to be how long Homo sapiens have been on the planet. Margaret? Some other people are missing from this genealogy. Mm-hmm. The mothers who gave birth to these people. That's right. From reading this, you wouldn't even know that women exist. <laughs> you think these people just sprang into existence. Uh-huh. I don't know how to explain that. It seems yeah. like an awfully egregious oversight. Well, if one was wanting to keep track of uh, humanity as a whole, it certainly would be an oversight. But because the intention and the purpose is just to give a line of the Messiah, it's just giving uh, you know, the line uh, of, of men through the ages. Obviously, when you get to um, Noah and his sons, there's an, uh, an acknowledgement of their wives. Uh, but for the purpose for which this is written, it would, uh, it's just unnecessary to state the obvious, which is that they all had wives, you know, gave birth to the sons. Uh, yeah, so the line does come through the father, and uh, so that's why the emphasis is there. Song. Yeah, it's interesting because um, recent uh, Jewish culture has switched that, where the lineage is actually coming from some woman. Hmm. Um, and so I'm just, it just clicked on me. I'm like, why did they do that, and why do we consider that? Um, that that's legit versus in you know Genesis. One through six, you have uh, the lineage of men. Um, so it's just interesting that that we would hold both as legit. Yeah. Yeah. I think in the secular culture, there would be a sense of equal recognition that you know the only way to to treat people equally is to recognize both equally, and um, I think just that that's an unnecessary conclusion. Right? We don't have to, uh, if, if we're just trying to draw a line between uh, through generations from one generation to 14 generations later, uh, and that line generally comes through the Father, uh, again, as, as the way that uh, God has revealed it to be, uh, then we don't necessarily need to account uh, for every person uh, involved. In the same way that we don't account for every child that's there, we're just pointing at Scripture is just pointing at uh, those who are part of the line. And in fact, you know, when you look at the genealogy of Jesus in, in Matthew 1, there it does actually bring in women like Rahab and others. Um, obviously, Mary is, is highly emphasized uh, because of the significance of those women's roles in the line of the Messiah. Uh, Ruth is the other one. I was trying to think of who the third one was. Um, that's right. That's right. In fact, let me. So now we're going to talk about the overlap of uh, the generation. So almost all Adam's descendants in this line could have known him because he died in Lamech's 56th year. So if you just go back to the line here, 
if you. That's right. That's when they had the the, the child that's next on the list. And the gray is life. The next generation, and, and the the gray is is their life after that child, and then the of course red plus gray together is the total number of years. So if you can imagine a line, I know it's hard to see because of the this is the scale of it, but Adam goes all the way down to the 56th year of Lamech. So Lamech all the way down would have had access, theoretically, uh, to Adam. And then if you, you know, look at Noah, same thing all the way down to, I believe it's Terah, that would have had access to Noah. Again, theoretically, and we'll talk about that in a second. Which is pretty remarkable if you think about it. Um, the, the overlap of these generations how they may well have known each other, uh, or at least had the opportunity to know each other. So only Noah and his sons of those listed in Genesis 5 could never have known Adam. Thus, for the history of Genesis 1 to 4.26, Adam was either an eyewitness, or in the case of creation, could have it could have been revealed to him by God. And Adam could have recited that history face-to-face with everyone down through Noah's father, Lamech, what it was like in the Garden of Eden, the fall, and so on. Now, when we use that language of he could have done this with everyone, uh, again, the, the proliferation of the human race is happening at, an, at a remarkable rate, and there were most of them who were uh, rebelling against God, who were pursuing uh, sin and not being worshipers of Yahweh. Uh, in fact, let's see, I have it a little bit later uh, in a few more slides, that uh, the increase of the human population would have meant that by the, uh, the days of Peleg, let me go back, the days of Peleg here, um, even though he was, you know, after uh, Noah, that the generations could have been in the millions and millions of people which would have, obviously, just by virtue of, of uh, uh, how spread out people are, that's when he, that's when the world was divided, the days of Peleg. Uh, that's, that's when it would have been difficult for people to interact with one another because they'd be so spread out. But the larger point here, and this is, incre- uh, this is helpful, is that according to the genealogies, uh, Genesis 5 and 11, Noah could have known everyone from Enosh all the way up to Terah, and so Noah's son Shem could have known everyone down through Abraham and Isaac, and Shem would have been able to recite the history of Genesis 5 to 11 face to face as eyewitnesses of what the pre-flood world was like, what it was like on the ark, and uh, the, even the Tower of Babel. So again, this is just putting it in picture form. Everyone up to this line would have been able to uh, talk to Adam face to face. Everyone up to this line would have been able to talk to Noah face to face, so Shem, Arpikshed, Shelah, Eber, Peleg, Ru, Sereg, Nehor, Terah, and then all the patriarchs behind this line uh, were alive and able to talk to Shem face to face. Doesn't show up there, but they were able to talk to Shem. So that that reduction in generational gaps means that a very few intermediaries for transmission were required to pass information down. From Abraham to Adam, or from Adam to Abraham, 
the only generational gaps you have are Lamech and Shem. So Adam, Abraham, Shem, excuse me, Adam, Lamech, Shem, Abraham. That's four generations, if you will, if you, if you can call those generations, uh, that would have been uh, needed to pass information on by those who, who didn't know it face to face. It's a possible reason why the book of Genesis did not need to be written down until the time of Moses. Uh, by the time of Moses and the Exodus, lifespans were reduced to the point where the events in Genesis had to be written down in order, order to preserve them for God's people. And Jacob said to Pharaoh, The years of my sojourning are 130. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor have they obtained the years that my fathers lived during the days of their sojourning. So Jacob recognizes that his lifespan, which to us would be a very long lifespan, was short compared to his ancestors. And he would have known about Shem's lifespan. So he eventually lived to be 147, and that was short. At the end of Genesis 5, we're left with Noah and three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And so we'll pick up their story next quarter, which starts next week. Now, before we are done, we're probably going to be done early today. This is pure speculation, all right? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> understand that. Speculative, but helpful. This is from me. This is not from Rob. But I was just thinking, okay, what would the population growth, what could it have it look like, you know, if people were living for hundreds and hundreds of years? So you go from Adam and Eve, uh, the two of them, to Seth's generation, their kids. Uh, and I, just for the sake of ease, I rounded it to 100 because we don't know if that ancient Jewish uh, tradition is accurate. But they certainly had the capacity for 100 kids living up to 900 years. Uh, then Enosh's generation, uh, I reduced, just for the sake of speculation, <laughs> I reduced it to uh, everybody in that generation having 50 kids, and of course, divided by two uh, with couples. So I was factoring that in for sure. Um, so uh, Seth's generation would produce 2,500 uh, kids, uh, or uh, Enosh's generation would produce 2,500 people Cain's generation reduced further, 40 kids per couple, 50,000. And then you can just see the progression of the population up until Methuselah, uh, the eighth generation from Adam. All of a sudden you're into the billions of people, two billion uh, people on the planet. Again, reduced it down to about 15 children per couple for Lamech. That would move up to almost 19 billion people on the planet, which right now we have, what, 8 billion, just under 8 and then Noah, uh, just because he had three sons, I gave everybody three sons. And if that population growth were to happen, there'd be 28 billion people on the planet. I don't think this is accurate. <laughs> this is just to show how quickly, when you live hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years and you have dozens of kids, how quickly the population could increase. Now, interestingly, First Chronicles chapter 1 uh, recounts the same uh, chronology, the same genealogy, doesn't give us the years, but it tells us the same uh, order of, of birth uh, of uh, Noah and his sons and, and those before Noah. And there it tells us the kids of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. And so First Chronicles 1 tells us that Japheth had seven sons, and it emphasizes sons, so 
other daughters as well. Ham had four sons, and Shem, uh, who is the line of the Messiah, had nine sons, you know, of course, and other daughters. So the, even though those men lived into several hundred years, they still had a small number, relatively speaking, of sons and daughters. Uh, so, again, uh, the population would have increased dramatically. Now, why? What, what, what would alter this picture? What would change or reduce the population? You know, if this is inaccurate, and I think it is, what what factors would make it inaccurate? Just disease. Think, disease, absolutely. Flood. The flood, eventually, yeah. War. War, murder, yeah, wickedness, sin, depravity. What else? Yeah, natural disasters. Barrenness. Barrenness, absolutely. So not everybody could have children. Not every woman could have children. And men too. There's another one that, that hasn't been mentioned that I thought of. Yeah, they're all, that's a natural disaster. Polygamy, where you have... You know, one husband, multiple wives. Again, we saw Lamech was a first polygamist, at least listed in Scripture, and so that changes the picture a little bit. So there's all you know, all the things that we experience in our world reduced the uh, the number of kids that people would have, and so very likely uh, the number would not be anywhere near uh, what what is represented here. But that doesn't mean that it wouldn't still increase dramatically over the course of centuries. Uh, century-long lifespans. Pastor Gabe? Yeah. So if there were 28 billion people, are you assuming they would all be in the Middle East, Africa, that part of the world? Right. Where would you put 28 billion people <laughs> without including yeah. uh, North America and yeah. South America? Just in Texas. Just in Texas. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> no, again, I don't think that's accurate. But, uh, again, this is all pre-flood. And so we don't know what the uh, geography was like pre-flood. You know, whether there's the Pangea theory of everything was just one big continent. You know, that, Rob would have better ideas, I think, of, of all of that. But, um, yeah, again, I don't, I don't think it, it reached that, that number of people. Um, but at the same time, it's likely that they were relatively localized. Uh, they certainly were localized after the flood. You know, Rob will talk about that. In Genesis chapter 10 with the Tower of Babel, that they refused to spread out. Um, but they would have had to spread out to some degree, you know, once you get into the uh, hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, and again, a lot of farmers, uh, a lot of people who work in the fields. So these aren't big cities with uh, high rise buildings uh, that are where you have a population of 7 million people in a city. Uh, they had to be spread out uh, all over the place. So help me understand that again. So in a reverse, you're trying to get back to two? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, so how long it would take for you to get to potential. Oh, I see. You get what I mean? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, uh, these are always going to be crude calculations. Right. But if you take into account the most conservative possible means to get to that mm -hmm. two, then it's very hard for you to get to two in that Yeah. Years. Yeah. And, of course, after the flood, you have short lifespans a whole lot of war. You know, it's remarkable when you read in, uh, in the Old Testament that in battles, you know, hundreds of thousands of people would die in one day. 
Um, and there were there were a lot of people on the planet. It's, it's really interesting too. If you take that approach backwards to calculate the percentage of people living today as <clears throat> compared to all the people who have ever lived, it's very high. It's amazing mm -hmm. the number of people who have ever lived. Uh, the percentage that are alive today, mm -hmm. uh, it's remarkable. Yeah. And this is the main thing. Great is being completed. Right. Yeah. Are you are you guys doing the math from today's to Noah? Is that what you're doing? Uh, no, just from the, on the board, the board on that. Oh, oh you oh. mean on the board there? No, that's for something else. Oh. Okay. Um, yeah. I think it's interesting too to, to consider the possibility of big numbers. How many people were actually drowned in the flood, mm. and how few how deprived. Yeah. Human nature can be yeah. when only eight people were righteous to yeah. go into the ark. Right. It, it, you know, we kind of think, oh, there were, you know, in your mind, you think, oh, there probably weren't that many people on the earth that could have been. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I again, total speculation, but I would guess there were definitely millions and millions of people, if not billions, uh, on the on their world on, on the planet at the time of, of the flood. And Bill, I am one of. 33 grandchildren of my grandfather. Mm. You can see it. That kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't take long to get. Yeah, absolutely. Large numbers. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> How many kids did your grandparents have? Pardon? How many kids did your grandparents have? In my grandparents' house, they had seven. Seven? Yeah. yeah. My grandparents had, my grandfathers had yeah. seven children. Yeah. And from those seven children, they had yeah. 33 grandchildren. Yeah. My yeah. Yeah, my dad's the oldest of nine, and I have about 30 cousins. So. Yeah. On the flip side, I have a friend in California who says he can fit his whole family from his, I think his grandparents are are with the Lord, but from his mom and his kids all in one minivan. <laughs> so some of us make up for others. <laughs> all right, just a couple of final thoughts here. What we learned today, the progression of the seed line, curious case of Enoch, and the lifespan's generational overlap. Now, just because we have time, and it's in this chapter, I'm guessing, I haven't seen the notes, but I'm guessing Rob's going to talk about uh, Noah in the next uh, quarter, but since it is in this chapter, I'm gonna I'm gonna take it. And uh, if you look in your Bible there at the end of Genesis five, th this is actually a, a really interesting uh, passage here because Lamech serves as a kind of prophet. Uh, he names Noah on the basis of what he thinks Noah will do. Now he, as far as we know, perhaps Lamech was in the line of worshippers of Yahweh. Uh, but um, he, again, acted in the role of a prophet, and he, and he named him Noah, saying, verse 29, This one will give us rest from our work and from the toil of our hands arising from the ground which the Lord has cursed. So it seems as though Lamech looks at his baby boy named Noah, that he names Noah, and he says, I think this is the Messiah. <laughs> I think this is the one that's going to release us from the curse. Of course, the curse included not, not work in general, but the, the toilsome work, uh, the, the hard labor that it took to get 
uh, food from the ground. And so that's what he emphasizes there, the toil of our hands. And so this one, Noah, is going to give us rest. The, the name Noah means rest. It's the same word as, as rest. And, and so he, he anticipates that. What he doesn't anticipate is how Noah will do that. And of course, it's not Noah at all that's doing anything, but how God will, in Noah's time, uh, in a manner of speaking, give humanity rest from the toil of their hands by bringing judgment and condemnation and death to the human race except for the eight. Now, some have speculated, again, just really trying to read into Lamech's prophecy and trying to fulfill it in other ways, that maybe uh, the way that uh, Noah gave rest to mankind from the curse of the ground was by the fact that after the flood, Noah became a, uh, a you know, worker of the field, but specifically, uh, he grew vines. And it doesn't say it explicitly in terms of what he grew, but by virtue of the fact that he, g- he got drunk uh, out of the, the, the drink that he made from the, the grapes that he grew, uh, you know whether he stumbled upon the uh, you know, dynamics that, that produce alcohol or whether they already knew about it. Uh, some would say that his creation or his, his discovery of alcohol was our relief from the work of our hands. I, I don't really think that's the case. <laughs> I don't see scripture you know, promoting that as a beneficial uh, form of rest. Uh, but there's all kinds of ways in which scholars try and look at what, what did Noah do to give us rest from the toil of our hands. And uh, I think what this really reflects here is simply just a, an exhaustion on the part of Lamech and his generation. Exhaustion over the work of their hands. Exhaustion over the wickedness and the curse that has overtaken the world. And a desire to see God bring rest from that. And in the way that he planned, God did obviously through uh, the flood. So just just a comment about that. All right, well, we have uh, 15 minutes. I certainly don't need to take it, but yeah. Um, when you look at the lineage of this, uh, this list, it says in, in the Bible that Enoch walked with God, right? Mm-hmm. And he was not for God's home. And when you look at the other um, list here, it doesn't specifically say that any of them walked with God, right? Mm-hmm. So, is it possible, or do we not know? Because I, I fully expected to see Adam in heaven until I took this class and realized he may not be there. I was shocked. I'm still shocked at that, right? I mean, I don't know that. But is it possible that these men, too, that they were not walking with God? Well, I think it's just one of those things that we can't say for sure. I mean, scripture is, is just not clear. Right. Yeah. So uh, the, the fact that it says that he walked with God, I don't think rules out the possibility or the likelihood that the others didn't, uh, or rules out that they did. Um, it just it seems to mark him out as walking with God in such a unique way right. that God removed him from the earth. That would be my understanding of the emphasis there. And as far as Adam, uh, again, we don't know... I, Speculating, I, I think he'll be there. Um, I, I think that after their sin, uh, God would have rescued them and saved them. Uh, you know, 
and they would have come to understand God in, in a new way as a savior. But that's that's speculation. Yeah, that, that's an interesting point. Uh, we don't know where Job fits into all this. We know he lived in the age of the patriarchs, which is around the time of Abraham. But he's not in the line of the Messiah, and he's not listed anywhere else in Scripture in terms of you know, where does he fit contextually. Uh, and so we really don't know. But like you, like you noted, he was a righteous man, in fact, the most righteous man of his time. And so, uh, again, just because it doesn't say it in here doesn't mean that others weren't righteous as well. No, they died right before the flood. And, and to me, again, this is speculation, but to me that would be a mark that God was preventing them, and especially Lamech, who died at 700-something years old, that you know he could have lived into the time of the flood, but it seems as though God took him right before the flood. Um, I, I believe we do know that, but uh, Rob didn't prepare a slide for that. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean... That's, you know, 400 years from the time of, of uh, Jacob and his family entering Egypt uh, to the time of Moses. And so uh, if a lifespan, you know, at that time was 80 to 120 years, uh, there's, you know, a pretty small number of, of, of gaps. So to get from creation to Moses, you know, maybe on the order of 10 people. Yeah, potentially. Potentially. We just... Pretty remarkable, which is, by the way, one of the reasons I think, and 100% speculation here, don't, don't misunderstand, uh, that uh, God, Jesus is coming sooner rather than later. Uh, just my speculation of, because time has, has, you know, it's almost like there's a, a balance between before Christ and after Christ, which you could say, is, wouldn't that mean we'd have 2,000 years after this? I don't know, but... Um, I think the ages of, of humanity before obviously kind of changed the dynamics there. But um. and then one one last comment on the, the numbers of people, how how quickly the population can grow. I used to convert it um, as related to you know, the, the people from the flood uh, could have got to this population level that that we are now within you know a short period of time. Um, like 5. Maybe a geneticist would have a sense of what a perfect DNA. I don't, do you know, Margaret? <laughs> I think the Hebrew word for red is Adam. Okay. 
Well, Adam uh, means ground, uh, earth. So maybe there's a correlation there in terms of the, the color of clay or the color of the ground. You know, we would think brown as it relates to the earth, but that's not necessarily the case depending on where on the earth you are. Um, but yeah, you know, as uh, Rob pointed out, I think it was a couple weeks ago, that Adam would have had a perfect DNA, Adam and Eve, they would have had the perfect DNA, which would have deviated and mutated and altered with children. And so what would a, what skin color would a perfect DNA look like? You know, I don't know. It, I would speculate darker rather than lighter, but I don't know how all of that works. Okay, well, let me pray and let you go.